Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am incredibly grateful for your support of our show. This week's episode features Tina Hedges. She's the founder of Lolly, and she's also from a reality TV show. So if you're as much of a fan as reality TV as I am, you'll really enjoy this episode. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Nancy McKay. She is currently the CEO of Barefoot Scientist. I hope you enjoy the shows. Do you eat breakfast mostly? No. And I know it's the most important meal of the day, and I just, I'm not a morning person. It's not really the most, according to Donna James. Oh, we're good? Okay. Thank you, Jake. Um, According to Donna James, who's my um, nutritionist, you know her? I can't believe that you know her and she's your nutritionist because she and I have become besties. Oh, really? And we're like frick and frack. So she's she's the new intuitive nutritionist yes. and I'm the intuitive beauty you know healer and the two of us together have like the both because we're sort of like alchemists right. together so it's really and we're looking at what we can do together oh that's so awesome so uh, we are recording now is it okay that we're talking totally, about this totally absolutely I love her I'm a big fan we met I mean it's 12 years now we were like both starting our businesses and um She's been my client on and off through the years, and I, she's healed me through like carpal tunnel problems, plantar fasciitis problems, you know, just general like sluggish system problems, and um, all of her solutions always work, and they're like very simple. Like, oh, you need a mineral in your diet, so take a supplement because you're not fine, you're not getting it in your food, and then look at that, I feel better. It's amazing. She, but seriously, the two of us together, when you hear us, like we kind of go into this magical place because she knows all the science of food, but she also has this very intuitive healer um, personality and talent. And I do the same thing on the beauty side. So I know all the technical, you know, what's in the ingredients, why they work, but then I also have this alchemist Mm -hmm. intuitive. And so when we sit together, we're like, Wow, if we can combine the two things, we actually have the holistic person. And yeah, so we're we're in lots of fun conversations. So if you read her book, mm-hmm. her book will say that um, breakfast being claimed as the most important meal of the day is just a marketing tactic employed by sugary cereal companies decades ago. And that depending upon who you are, and she separates her book into these different categories of different types of women, you might be the type of woman who, whose body doesn't need that big morning fuel. And that something simple, like a cup of coffee and one bite of something might be enough for you. And that your bigger meal will be a different meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just marketing that told us. That this. makes sense because my body doesn't crave to eat in the morning. It's like a slower ramp, but I get hungry as the day goes on. Like I'm more, I also, my body clock is, I'm definitely night owl. Like mm-hmm. I'm completely, you know, I'm Cuban, I'm Latin. I get more energy as the day goes on. So I have no problem like 10 o'clock at night being fired up. And it's just my personality. It's funny. But morning, I'm definitely like more sluggish. No matter how much sleep I have, it's kind of irrelevant. Right. So um, I'd be interested on what 
after you read that chapter, what she has to say about how we're, we're different and we're program different. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you follow her program and her philosophy, like that, you then just honor the way that your body is and not try to force yourself to eat breakfast if it's not right She gave me the book a couple weeks ago and I haven't had a chance to read it. I've flipped through it. I love it. And um, she definitely told me of the food archetypes, I'm a rethrow, uh -huh. which makes complete sense, right? right? Um, and then I'm trying to remember what the second part, but it's definitely a lot about I have to ground myself. I have to be more, like eat more um, earthy foods mm -hmm. that like stews and um, protein through like beans and things like that, mm -hmm. which intuitively I love. Like I love a good stew. I love a good vegetable, like hearty, um, like Indian food really grounds me. I love it. You know, so it's funny. I, She's very, very, very talented. I love yes, her. Yes, she is um, a very special lady. So for anyone who's just listening in, because you are just listening in, I would like to tell you who I'm sitting here chit-chatting about breakfast, no breakfast with. <laughs> it is Tina Hedges. She is the founder of Loli. Lolly. Lolly. Like the like lollipop. Pop. Yes, you told me that. Lolly. I can do that. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. So um, we've already asked the question of, did you eat breakfast today? But why don't you tell us how you'll spend your day today? So my day is always a little bit um, topsy-turvy because I, um, I'm the founder of a startup. We sit in a tech accelerator and um, we're very much, we're not the traditional beauty company. We're very much structured more like a tech company. I guess it's the influence of being in a tech accelerator. So we start our day, for example, doing um, five-minute stand-up meetings which is a fascinating, I wish when I was at the big companies in beauty that we had employed this tactic. What is it? Tell me what happens. Um, so in, in tech companies, engineers do stand-up meetings where they stand up. Mm -hmm. They literally, not sitting at their uh -huh. desk, because if you're sitting, you take more time to talk through things. You okay. feel a little bit more lackadaisical. If you're standing up with your computer, you're more on it, mm -hmm. right? So the idea is you stand up and for more in the morning at the end of the day, and you go through a round robin and you each have about two minutes to talk about what you're prioritizing today, mm -hmm. what you got done yesterday and what the codependencies are. So it's not like just a status, it's like, I am working on this and that may impact you or I need this from you because to do this today, I. You know, right. So it helps sort of get the team working in synchronicity versus in silos of like, I'm just going to go down my to-do list regardless of what anyone else is working on. It's really fascinating and wonderful. It's a way to be super productive. So we start our day like that. And what time is that meeting that? Okay, so um, because I'm not a morning person, <laughs> um, we start our day at 9.30. Mm -hmm. Um, I like people to have time to go exercise in the morning and to come in sort of fresh. And yeah. But we stay late. Like our average day, most people are there till at least 7, 7.30 mm -hmm. or later. So, um, you know, it's a it's a long day. Um, but so we, we start the day with a stand-up. And um, today, for example, in between coming here, I had to deal with some um, product development sourcing of ingredients, our date nut um, brulee, which is this like miracle melting balm for skin, hair, and body. Um, we get our oil, which is upcycled, so part of our sustainable mission, from Senegal. 
and the purveyor who get you know helps us uh, with this date nut oil, which no one else is using, literally like has to organize all these fair trade co-ops in Senegal, mm-hmm. get the the dates, get the the nut, the kernel, and then crush it. So it's crushed fresh fresh for us on orders. But like you can't pay him directly. Because in Senegal, like the way the banking system, so we have to, it's just very complicated. Uh-huh. So because we have all these ingredients from around the world, I'm dealing with all these different particular problems and sourcing. And then um, and then I'm coming here to do the podcast. And then I'm going back and I'm working on a, a sprint on our user experience. What does that mean, a sprint? So where we will tackle one problem, we'll say like, okay, we want to address our um, product page for Plum Elixir, or we want to address our homepage, or we want to create um, a landing page to test a messaging. And we'll pull in um, our growth hacker, our creative team, and we'll literally sit for a couple hours and just bang, mm-hmm. bang out. Um, and by the end of those that session, have something to actually show for it. So um, in Again, the sprint, very, you're not just talking about doing it. You're actually doing it. No, we're it. doing it. Oh, that's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, very much learning from my cohort founders from the tech world. Like this is how, it's just a different way of working and it's so much more productive. How did you end up in a tech accelerator? That's an amazing story. Um, When I first started to go raise money for Lolly, I already had a proof of concept. I had Mm self-financed and launched um, what we call an MVP, minimum value proposition. And um, I got written up by the press. I shipped over a thousand boxes. It was a, a great success as a, as a test. And I went to start raising money. And I was literally told by prominent VCs in this city to go home because I was over the age of 40 and not pitching tech. And um, the chances of me building over the age of 40 with experience a unicorn was slim to none, which was really disheartening. So you're saying you're, wait, wait I want to break this down. Yeah. You're in meetings, you present your deck, right? right? You give them like the sizzle and the excitement and... And poop points. Right. And then they say literally to you, you're too old for this. No yeah. one's going to invest in you. Give up. Yes, basically. I even had one VC and I saved the email because one day <laughs> I want to um, frame it right across it in red, a lot of zeros and uh, send it back to him. But I was basically told, <laughs> yes, you know, I do have one or two moments that no. <laughs> revenge can be, can be sweet sometimes, um, as long as it's done out of a kindness moment, a learning lesson. Um, but uh, basically he said to me, you know, it's really too bad that you're not 30 or 35 straight out of Harvard or Stanford Business School with no experience in the beauty industry because I would have written you a $2 million check already. But the fact that you have all this two decades of experience and you're your age, you know, you know, I'm not going to invest. And that is really how they think. It's so bizarre. So, you know, when people talk about gender bias, in um, female founders and how difficult and 2% get funded, et cetera, I say, well, when you add in ageism, it's even worse. Right. Um, so anyway, so here I was being told. But this is not just one one conversation with this way, multiple? No, it was several. It was multiple conversations. Mm-hmm. So I was getting incredibly discouraged. And 
I decided to start applying for any pitch competition that I could find. Okay, how many years ago was this? This is about, so I raised my first round in March of 2017. Mm -hmm. So this was um, end of the year of 2016. So like November, December 2016. So you have this vision, you have experience in the industry, you have your like finger on the pulse of what's coming, what's important. And a proof of concept. I actually had launched something. It wasn't wasn't a pitch deck with like pretty little pictures and, you know, forecasts of projections, which are meaningless, right? I had proof points. And meeting after meeting, nobody's understanding this and they don't even value your expertise. Correct. And they say this to you to your face and over email. Correct. Okay. They also told me over email that natural clean beauty um, was never going to be more than a sort of a blip because women wouldn't choose ingredients that don't work over scientific ingredients. And I had to remind them, you know, arsenic comes from apricot seeds. Do you think it works? (laughs) And you said that to them? And what's the reaction? Cyanide, arsenic. Um, You know, you're dealing with men who don't know. They they don't know ingredients in products. They only know what they're told, right? right? And they tend to listen to their girlfriends or wives for the most part and what they like. And if they're shopping you know, luxury brands at Bergdorf Goodman that spout all sorts of statistics and clinicals, that's what they think works. Right. And at this time, there weren't like, I mean, there are like a a few really awesome investment firms that are all women run with women values. I guess these didn't exist at that time. They did. There are a few of them that Mm -hmm. I spoke to. So as you'll you'll hear the story Mm -hmm. as it goes. So going back and I'll come back to the female um, investment groups. But so... I started applying to pitch competitions, mm-hmm. and part of it was just that I felt the more I pitched and under very intense situations, some of these pitch competitions, you literally have two minutes mm-hmm. or five minutes, yes. and the clock is ticking, and that if I could really hone my pitch, that it would help me raise money. So it was even if I didn't necessarily want the carrot at the end of that pitch competition. Right. So I just started doing that. and. Um, and somehow, someone along the way from one of the pitch competitions um, I did mentioned Grand Central Tech. And I had no idea what it was. I started looking into it and I reached out and I got an inter- like the first preliminary call, which they just do to tell you what everything. And I was so impressed by their mission. And basically, they decided instead of creating an accelerator where they take equity and and you're only in it like tech stars mm-hmm. for a couple months and then you have your demo day and hopefully you raise money and then you're sort of out into the world. They said, we want to give founders a cohort community that is supportive and what do they need the most? Office space. So let's give them free office space for a year, select very few um, companies and really mentor them for the, the entire year and take no equity. I mean, it's a very unusual accelerator. Right. So how do they monetize their program? Um, They have a fund that they can decide to invest. Mm -hmm. And they also, um, it's anchored in a building on 335 Madison Avenue, which is now branded company. And they've created an entire tech um, uh, urban hub. Mm -hmm. So as you graduate, you rent office space. Mm -hmm. They have their version of WeWork, but you stay within the community. Right. So it's like a customer lifecycle thing, right? They're 
getting you early in, and then you have such goodwill. Right. Right. Why would you? Which you do, by the way, Mm -hmm. because it's extraordinary the community they've built. Um, So anyway, I I heard about it, and it was so interesting, Jody, because one of those moments that you really, when you wonder about divine intervention or serendipity because I knew that I had this application due. And there was a part of me that was like, everyone had been telling me, but you're not pitching tech. And you know, they get a thousand applications, they pick 18 companies. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get in. And some personal things happened. I mean, it was really sad. My mom's cat fell out of the window <gasps> and died. It was really horrible. And I was leaving to Dubai to go speak on a panel. And it all happened in the same 48-hour period. And I got to the airport, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, my goodness, the application for Grand Central Tech is due at midnight today, or due today. And it was like 10 o'clock at night, and my flight was leaving in an hour. And I wrote to them, and I said, I'm, I'm handing in the application before midnight today. And somehow I got it done, and I thought I, would, I, thought I had missed Were the Were you, boat. like, sweating at the airport? I, I sort of had the attitude of, like, well, I've already missed the boat. Uh-huh. So oh, uh-huh. so in a way, it was good because it took the pressure off the application. I just said what I wanted to say. And then I get back from Dubai, and a couple of weeks later, I, I get notified that I made the second cut, which was then you had to come in for interviews. So imagine a 1,000 applications. They pick 18 companies. I think they interview like 200. Mm-hmm. And this was my second major blip in the process. The calendar invite came in, and you know how Gmail just automatically gives you a Google video call? Oh, uh uh-huh. I assumed it was a video call. So I had asked a friend of mine who's an investment banker if I could use her conference room. I was all set up. I was ready. I was sitting there completely polished and fresh-faced, you know, looking into the video, um, the Google video and chat. And I get a text, and it's one of the you know one of the uh, principals at Grand Central Tech. He's like, "We're waiting for you. Where are you?" I'm like, "I'm on the I'm on the call." He's like, "It's an in person interview," and they were like 15 blocks away, but in Midtown right. at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I said, I, I, I'm, "I'm leaving right now. I, it's my mistake. I thought it was a video call. I'll hustle." And he said, "Well, the good news is we're running 20 minutes late, so." get yourself here. Mm-hmm. Well, I was 45 minutes late, not 20 minutes late. And I, again, said, I've, I've lost this. Right. Like, which in, in a way maybe worked because I walked into the interview like, I've already messed up, so I'm just going to be myself right. and come from the heart. And somehow I made it, I made the cut. And it was the most extraordinary part of my journey as a founder because one to be validated Mm -hmm. to be able to now look those same vcs and say uh excuse me you said i wasn't pitching tech well i'm in a tech (laughs) accelerator that's one of the best in new york city two to be a female over the age of 40 with a cohort of mostly male founders in their 20s and to be validated in that way was just and then the connections and 
the relationship. Right, and all the learning you've already had. learning, just looking sideways. Yeah, I remember the first day seeing all these teams stand up with their computers. I'm like, what are they doing? (laughs) And they're like, it's a stand-up meeting. I'm like, what's a stand-up meeting? That's awesome. And they're going to learn from you, for sure. Yeah. Well, they learned about skincare. Yeah. And intimacy with the customer and, you know, things that you just find in beauty that you don't find other places. And branding and marketing. And they'd always, a lot of them be like, how do you get all this PR? I'm like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> let me let me help you with that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm so grateful yeah. you shared that story with us. But it's a good example of, you know, in life, a lot of it is just showing up. Right. Make sure you show up. Even if you, you feel you've made a mm-hmm. mistake, don't let that opportunity out of slip out of your hands because there is a power in owning the mistake, right? Yes. There is a power in people remember you. Mm-hmm. Like if you're say if you raise your hand and you say you know what I completely I messed up I missed the call with you or I missed the meeting or I'm late but like here's why I I really want to be here mm-hmm. and that's compelling right so sometimes we kind of you know self sabotage because we make a little mistake and then we get embarrassed and we, we don't want to deal with it head on right well that's like um, this feeling that perfectionism has to rule. And it, you know, for me, I have a philosophy that perfection doesn't exist and it shouldn't even be a word. That's how much it doesn't exist. I so agree with you. And that's one of the hardest lessons I think I've learned in in this startup, um, which is I am a perfectionist by nature and I like everything buttoned up. And I, especially coming out of big beauty where Mm -hmm. you spend years making sure a brand launch is like, tied up in a nice little bow and everything is absolutely pristine and, you know, um, well executed. And in a beauty startup or any startup, you, especially in the tech world, you have to unlearn that behavior and you have to learn it's better to execute and know you're executing with a lot of errors because you get learning. Right, right. Then wait to make it perfect. Because if you wait to make it perfect, what you think is perfect may not work. Right, and it might be too late. And it might be too late. Right. Um, I love this. And I'm just, in my head, I'm visualizing this email, the one that you told us about at the beginning. And I um, feel like I want it to be like printed out with some sort of like holographic finish and hang on the wall now because you've already proven this person wrong. Um, You don't need the zeros. Well, maybe we'll do an art project together. Yeah, I don't. I feel like you know, there, there's such a obviously like we, this is a business, this isn't a charity, yeah. right? There is a goal, right. a financial goal, and, but you've already done it. So I almost feel like you can honor that moment, and then later you can add zeros to it, you know, and draw all over or whatever. But um, you know, for me, you've hit a milestone that's worth celebrating. Well, thank you, thank you. I. You know, I sometimes it's nice to have that uh, validation because I see all the things we still need to do, and I set the bar very high. And then um, I look sideways, and I still see some of my peers, who are male, who are, you know, somewhat um, going down a similar track mm-hmm. as me, and sort of riffing off of Lolly and getting way more funding oh, uh-huh. earlier on. And I mean. I overheard a conversation in my cohort of some gentleman who has no beauty experience, comes from the startup world. And the way he was chatting with his investor uh, or pitching an investor on the phone, and I overheard it, he was like, yeah, I'm not going to share with you any deck. And I'm not going to share any financials. I don't have any. I don't have projections. I don't have a product. 
I've never worked at this industry and I've already raised $3 million and I'm gonna make you sign an NDA, but I'm not gonna tell you anything and you just either invest in me or not. And I listened and I had this like moment of, wow, you know, as a woman, I think it's very female. We go in and we feel we have to have everything absolutely buttoned mm -hmm. up and, you know, rigorously thought through and over-prepared. And, you know, we still then, the reaction back is like, oh, this is great, but come back to me when you hit here, mm -hmm. this milestone. Mm -hmm. And here this guy who doesn't know what he's doing, going into skincare, and he's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, you just, you just didn't believe in me or not, and other people have written a check. And I'm like, wow, why doesn't that happen for us? Why, what, what are we doing wrong? Well, can I play with play on this totally. with you? So, um, I mean, you see this every day, and this is a good example of it. There's people who are impassioned about the customer experience, and because you are one of them, and yeah. you want to create a relationship for life with a customer, and there are people who enter our business because they think it's a fast way to make two hundred million dollars. So, there's only one way this can go, which is that the consumer builds a relationship with a brand, and they have a long life together. The the other way is I sell a product, it's like a thing for a minute and then it's gone. So there's no way to build a true brand and like loyalty experience with the customer when you just want to make $200 million. Because it's, you'll make one thing and you'll make some money fast, but then it's gone and the relationship is over. It's like a one night stand, right? right? Um, my sense about you and the other people who are really good in this space is that you want to have a long relationship with your customer. You want to be there with her and you want to be there with her children and with her mother and with her friends and be part of their lives. And that's that's where the scale is and that's where the future growth and that's also where the joy is. Absolutely. And I, I in, in Lolly, I tell the team every day, like, the most important thing to me is customer service, customer success, right? And um, personalization or pure potent products is meaningless if we don't give delightful experiences. Mm -hmm. And I come from, you know, when I worked at Estee Lauder, one of the things that really was ingrained in us, and in those days there were no com emails or, you know, computers when I first started, when the blue binder, Kate Navy blue binder, because it's the Lauder color, would come down from Leonard's office with customer complaints and land on your desk. It did not matter what you were doing, you dropped everything and you answered or gave customer service the information they needed to mm -hmm. respond. And it was the highest priority thing. And it always stuck with me because we can't forget that this is about touching people. Business, it's, it's only important if it's meaningful in their life. Otherwise, it's a commodity that right. can be ch changed out, right? right? And there are many of those, but there's not, there's no future there, yeah. right? That's like, like I said, a one-night stand, and you're looking for a meaningful relationship long-term. Um, and that's because you are the customer. That's what you're longing for in your life, right? So that's I think true. you've already, you know, they can say, that guy can say whatever he wants to say, and he could make money. He could also burn through their $3 million very easily in six months and nothing to show for it. So just because he gets the money doesn't mean he knows what to do with it. It doesn't mean that he's going to do anything with it that meet your values, yeah. right? Yeah. So your journey, your, the universe has already shown you to trust your journey. Um, you're gonna get there, wherever it is that you want. 
But my guess is money is not the number one driver for you, which is why you're choosing these other paths of communication. Well, it's important. I mean, I have shareholders mm -hmm. and I want Lolly to be a sustainable and profitable business and have a big trajectory. I think we, you know, we say our mission is to stir up beauty and make a conscious change. And it's really meaningful. Mm -hmm. Like to me, it is unconsciousable that we sell people water over packaged in plastic mm -hmm. and um, then tell them they have to buy 15 of those, <laughs> you know, whether it's in a jar or a bottle or a spray, um, you know, to to do what they could do with two products with no water and um, and really do better for the planet and the people. So, yeah, I think the whole beauty industry is sort of, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier, that the reason we're told to eat breakfast is yes. because they want to sell sugary snacks. Right. Um, I think the beauty industry has a little bit of that in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let's talk about the the brand story because when we were on the phone together last yeah. week, um, in like 30 seconds, I heard the whole thing, like everything. And now I know why, because you did so many of these pit, quick pitch meetings that you have it like so tight. And I learned everything that I would want to know if I were like an editor or a publicist about like what the point of difference is here. So can you can you give it back to me? Sure, absolutely. So we, Lolly, which stands for Living Organic Loving Ingredients, um, is the world's first zero waste organic beauty brand. And we make waterless, um, uh, upcycled um, from food waste, multi-purpose products that you can use for your skin, hair, and body. Um, they're ready to use, just like your white t-shirt. You can slip them on, um, but you can also customize at home or we can customize for you. So it's, um, there are many ways you can experience your beauty. And the idea is that besides just the sustainable positioning, which we, as I said, are really the first mover and the first to do this, um, we believe that your skin and hair are not the same every day. And so today I may wake up with some redness and need some turmeric essential oil in my plum elixir. Um, but tomorrow I may wake up with flaky skin and need some salicylic acid as exfoliating. So you can modulate and change your experience how you want to. But if you just want to have the purest, cleanest products out there, you can just use our, our multi-purpose bases and you're ready to go. So it's really very... Um, flexible in its approach. Um, I love it. I, when you were on the phone with me, we had limited time. So you gave it to me, boom, 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 as if you were on stage and you had a minute and a half. And I like loved it. I, I was like trying to type as fast as I could because it was all so good and meaty and differentiating, right? Like truly as a, a strong, very strong point of view. Yeah. Um, so I applaud you on that because it's hard to do. Um, and it's hard to articulate, right? Like that's one of the biggest challenges I see brands have is like they know in their heart who they are. Right? Yeah. Deep down inside. We are this, we're not that, but like articulating it using the language that the customer is going to really understand because a lot of this can get a little heady. Yeah. Um, expressing the devotion to supply chain and partners and ethics in two words is very challenging. It I is. feel like you you have it. Well, thank you. I, I feel like I, I'm never sure um, when you're so close to something. Um, you don't always have the perspective to 
to see what the impact is. And what I find, which is really curious to me, is we use a lot of, um, whether it's from how we formulate the ingredients that we're using or to our messaging or to our packaging experience, um, which is completely sustainable and zero waste, um, we use a, a lot of very unique um, uh, uh, keys, brand keys or DNA, right? Mm -hmm. And I see other brands beginning to riff off of us mm -hmm. and sometimes be a little bit more successful in the short term mm -hmm. with um, bringing the cash register using our own language, like literally lifted. But how do you know that their cash register is you, Well, you can, you know, you have insights in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my point is what's interesting to me is I think because Lolly is so complex, we're not doing just one thing. Um, so, you know, you have on one side this really zero waste platform right. of sustainability and upcycling and turning food waste into valuable, effective right. ingredients in beauty and removing the water. Then you have the packaging sustainable piece of food grade glass, reusable, certified compostable bags instead of cartons, mm -hmm. things like that. And then you have, wow, it's just the best clean beauty mm -hmm. out there. And then you have, and it's food grade, right? And then you have, oh, and by the way, we can personalize. And there's so many ways into the brand. Right. So I feel sometimes that, um, and I have an investor who said to me once early on, he said, what will work for you long-term is that you built a very complex, deep and meaningful brand. He said, in the short term, what will work against you is you've built a very <laughs> complex, deep, meaningful uh -huh. brand, right? And it's exactly, as a, as a marketer, it's very interesting because um, I do think what lever is the most important? What's the first door into the brand? Right. I'd love your, yeah, hey, I mean, you're, you're, you're the expert over here. I'd love your, your insights as well. I think the fact that you actually have like true authentic stories to tell, and there's many of them, like you said, many ways in, is an advantage because like marketing right now in beauty is the wild west. Like nobody knows what works, right? 15 years ago or 20 years ago, you just put out your ads and you put up your signage and store and you know, yeah. that was that was it. Um, now it's like every day is sort of a roll of the dice. Um, what messages are you gonna boost in social? What are you gonna focus on whatever? When you're gonna launch this product? Um, so I think that the fact that you have these like four pillars gives you the chance to play with the pillars and see what sticks. And that's what I see brands doing. And the ones that are like, as you say, what I, we think is ringing the cash register, something hits today because that's just the momentum in the, mo in the moment, right? Like the, the universe, everyone, every millennial or whatever age person you're targeting is interested in X in this moment. And guess what? You were telling that story that day, or you can tell tomorrow. Right. Um, without sacrificing who you are as a brand because it's an authentic story. But two days later, like maybe a personalization, they're not interested anymore, right? Like we're, we're so peripatetic with like, you know, the things that are interesting to us and what we're obsessed with in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we have so many great TV shows to watch on Netflix and Amazon, like we can just be all over the place. So I think that you have to be there for her when oh. she's ready to explore personalization, or maybe she just wants to explore this idea of zero waste, or she wants to explore this yeah. idea of just great skincare, or yeah. it smells nice and it looks pretty on my counter. Like right. that's enough, right? You have really beautiful aesthetics. A lot of your customers are gonna come to you just because it feels pretty and right for them. 
from an aesthetic decor in the bathroom kind of way. And that's okay. Let her yeah. come that way. She can learn more about you. Um, so I think this is an advantage. And knowing that you're just sort of like throwing the balls in the air and one of them's going to be bouncier today, let's try it. Um, as long as it's still authentic to who you are. A hundred percent. And I agree with that. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes my investors will be like, you know, what's the what's the strategic plan for the next six months? And you have to go through the exercise of, of doing it, right? Um, which is good because it makes you think about things that sometimes in the day-to-day you're not. But the truth is I do that and then I put it aside yes. and then I'm opportunistic yes. because I had a, a mentor once who said to me, collect the offers, then apply critical thinking. Uh-huh. And so sometimes the team will be like, well, I thought we weren't going into wholesale. Why are we talking with you know retailers? I'm like, collect the offers and apply critical mm-hmm. thinking. We think we don't maybe want to be expansive mm-hmm. in wholesale, but maybe there's a very unique situation that works for us and works for them. Like I never, I always come from a place of yes. Mm-hmm. Even if my priority is sort of articulated, I still, I still engage with things that in my mind I'm not 100% sure because you just don't know. Right, but that's like, I think a smart way to plant seeds for the future. Maybe today you're just not interested, but you want to know what's what you need to plan for in a year when you might be interested. So I love this opportunistic thinking. Um, I I think that if you can just stay in your lane and you just gave me a you gave me a four lane highway, right? No water, up, upcycling. Um, the, recy- the cy- recycled quality of the pro- product packaging, and you gave me a fourth one. I'm forgetting what it was. Personalization. Personalization. So you gave me a four-lane highway. Just stay mm. in the highway. Like, yeah. your car can go, you can yeah. click this way, you can click that way, you can go a little faster, you can go a little slower, right? Put yeah. on the brakes, move move lanes, but that's your that's your highway. Yep, 100%. Um, and if there's stores on that, like brick-and-mortar stores on that highway, sure, you can take people into a retailer. Maybe it's just a in the cloud store. You know, there's just clouds and people are shopping online. But that's your highway. It's yours. Stay in it, own it, and have fun with it. Yep. Um, and I do think that like many of your customers are just going to come because they love the aesthetics, and that's just going to be a really interesting customer to um, engage with because they're going to be um, on a longer journey with you because they have more to learn. We we're beginning to see the virality of the products actually working. Mm-hmm. So um, we're super careful, although we're doing some um, claim substantiation mm-hmm. right now. So we just did a, a blind uh, consumer panel test for our plum elixir, and we got some amazing data back. 90% of women said it gave instant hydration, as an example, with the first use. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, yeah. right? I mean, you don't get a statistic like that easily. And we didn't manipulate. We didn't say, you know, like a lot of the big beauty companies will do a panel test like that and tell the consumers, don't moisturize for a week before. Oh, man. Uh-huh. Right? You can you can stack the deck. Right. We didn't do anything like that. Um, but anyway. Um, oh, so the underbelly of clinical testing. Oh, I don't think that I even knew that. I mean, I'm not a product developer, I mean, so I don't get involved in like yeah, that you can, level. You can you can figure out how to make. I mean, there are certain things that will be surprises, right? I mean, at some point, but you can stack the deck a bit to mm-hmm. your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so uh, 
But what we're seeing is just now word of mouth um, of, oh, my friend tried this and she has blemishes or she has really dry, flaky, irritated skin. We, we don't make any hard skincare claim like I'm super careful. So I never say acne. I never say eczema or psoriasis, even though a lot of our pairs said are, you know, saying that on their sites. And that's an FDA considers that mm-hmm. skin conditions with very tight monographs and things like that. But um, we know it does work on problem skin, different of our products. And we just let the consumer tell us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and come back and spread the word. And right. it's very interesting to see because when you do give a consumer a good product, they will be your advocate. Right, because there's there's junk out there and they spent money on it and they spent money on something that's good and my stomach is growling, so sorry if you can hear that in the <laughs> microphone. Um, so can we shift gears a little yeah. bit because I want to make sure we have time to talk about Absolutely. one of my favorite topics, which yeah. is reality TV. Oh, yes. Uh, so I'm so excited that you shared all the kind of secrets um, what, what it's like to really be an entrepreneur um, today in this climate. But I want to hear all about the chaos and crazy and amazing things that happen when you're in reality TV. And this was like the early 2000s, right? Yes. I was on one of the two seasons of one of the earliest reality shows. So it was called Blowout on Bravo TV. And it actually was my first startup. So I had left um, a big beauty company about six months prior and knew that in my heart I wanted to do a startup and I'd started chatting. It was around the summer of 2004 and started chatting um, with different investors and opportunities. And um, I was at brunch on a Sunday and got a random phone call. I, I didn't know. Nowadays, I would never have taken that phone call because I look up like it's some scam or some telemarketer. Right. But in those days, you know, you answered. <laughs> and um, it was a gentleman from the West Coast, and he said, hi, you don't know who I am, but I'm the manager of a celebrity hairstylist, and um, we just completed a season of a reality show on Bravo, and we're negotiating a second season. And um, my hairstylist wants the, the theme of the show to be all about him launching a hair brand, but we have no money, no team, and no idea how to do it in two months to put a deal together. And I started asking people in the beauty industry and they gave me your name. Do you think you can do it? All of this in like literally <laughs> five minutes on a phone. And I was just dead silent and listening. I didn't even really know that much about reality TV, right. but the light bulb went off and I said, free advertising? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely, I will figure it out. And I hung up the phone. And I started going through my mental Rolodex of who I had just been meeting with um, for the last couple months, which brings me up to, like, remind me to come back of an important lesson in in uh, startup world. Um, and I remembered that I had met a German industrialist who had just bought a hair care facility in Baltimore. And he was really, really interested in having a private label brand. And he had shown me a deck of this really bad concept for a skincare brand. And I had said to him, I will tell you that it'll cost you a million to, here's back of envelope math between concepting, execution, website, et cetera, et cetera, to launch. And you don't have a hook here. And you could pay me a lot of money to consult for you, and I'll take your money, 
but I want you to know up front because I'm an honest person, I don't think this is mm -hmm. going to work. And he had said to me, I love your honesty. If you ever come across something you do think will work, come back to me. Mm -hmm. So because I was transparent and wasn't just trying to get a paycheck from him mm -hmm. as a consultant, right? So I, I, I called him up and I said, I not only have an amazing opportunity, but we have a free infomercial mm -hmm. for, you know, two months of airtime on, on cable TV. And he said, done. I, I will invest and I raise the money. And so part of the whole concept was it, we, and we were the first to ever do this. There was no Kim Kardashian. There was no other reality mm -hmm. TV star. Sephora and QVC had, had never allowed anyone to film behind the scenes. We were the ones who got all of that permission and structured. And you watched us develop the hair brand from signing the contract all the way to getting into Sephora and QVC. And it was a runaway success. And I was on the show. And I can tell you that reality TV is definitely a beast. Um, you, there are lots of um, manipulations going on. Mm -hmm. So different um, executive producers will sort of isolate different star characters mm -hmm. and kind of create storylines. Mm -hmm that then the other characters don't understand what's really happening, so they're caught by surprise, or they'll they'll sort of stir the pot to try to make an intrigue. And so there's a lot of manipulations mm -hmm. going on. It was quite something. Um, but we had actually the, you know, the, the pressure of developing this brand. Right, you actually had to make the product. And make the and product and make sure that it was, so we had five months from taping to the show going on air. So we had five months, which you know in the yeah. beauty industry is like an unheard of amount of time. And I remember the packaging was really pretty and sleek and felt good. Thank you. Yeah. And we were the first vegan sulfate-free hair brand. Oh, wow. In Sephora and QVC. So again, I was way ahead of the curve. I'm going to see if I can find some episodes on YouTube. I also, I on the show, although Jonathan said it was his idea, it was really mine, <laughs> um, but I also launched a shower filter with that brand oh. because the concept was, and what I would say to Jonathan is, we can have the best shampoo but if or conditioner, but if you have bad water, um, right. it will affect your hair. So we came up with a shower filter, and for a while it was the number one skincare skew at Sephora. Wow. I mean, it's super relevant today. I hear people on here talking about that super all the time. Super relevant. Mm -hmm. Like, don't condition and wash your hair again because now all the stuff that's in the water is all over your hair. Right? Like, there's like protocols because the water is gross that we have, and it has a lot of stuff in it. And not only is it gross, but we're going to get less of it. Right, right. So um, whoever's listening, don't wash your hair every day. Start learning how not to wash your hair every day. <laughs> you know. So um, tell me this bit of insight before we go. I want yeah. you um, had a light bulb moment that you wanted to share another story. Oh, you know, I really believe, and so it happened when I needed to raise the money for Jonathan product, and it happened when I wanted to raise the money for Lolly, which is... Um, a serendipitous introduction can end up being the most meaningful and life-changing introduction. So um, 
if I hadn't taken a meeting with that German industrialist, which at the time felt very, um, you know, like an outlier to me, like I had seen the deck, I was like, the skincare brand looks ridiculous, Uh, you know, it's a hair care facility in Baltimore that wants to do a skincare brand, they don't know anything about it. It, There were so many factors that I could have just said, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go to that meeting. And the same with um, my lead investor in my first round. I for this I I got a list of three people. Every meeting I would go to, I would say, "Do you know three people you think I need to talk to?" Oh, cool! And I won't leave the meeting until. And actually, <laughs> I'm going to do it um, here with you at the end of this podcast. I want three people you think I need to meet. Just like, and it could be about for any reason. Any reason, uh-huh. but just in your heart. Like, go deep, right. and who do you think that would be important for me to know? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, and, and so... Does anyone ever say no? No, actually, people, people are very good if you ask them a specific favor that's easy for them to cross off right. their list. Right, It makes them feel good about themselves, yeah. and it's helpful to you. Cool. So, um, so that's what was sort of a learning I would be... I say, you know, by the way, is there anyone you think I need to know? At least three people. Mm-hmm. And so I got this list, and um, one of them is this gentleman who I went to go meet, and it turned out he is uh, the son of um, the chairman of a multi-billion-dollar direct-to-consumer beauty brand, and he and his brothers were starting a family fund, and the things that they care about are sustainability, mm-hmm. um, um, branding that the brand is meets you know, a criteria right. and a standard and direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And we sort of ticked all those boxes and he became my first investor. So he and his brother. So, but if I hadn't asked in that meeting who are three people and I, you know, do that regularly mm-hmm. and then make sure I meet those people. That's great. It's, it's a, so, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's important to just be open. Yeah. And ask for these things. No one's going to read your mind, right? And everyone has someone you need to know. Yeah, I love this. This is so cool. So what we didn't get a chance to talk about is growing up in Jamaica, being a professional ballet performer, right? There's so many other stories for you to tell. Maybe we can have a part two sometime. I'm always happy to have a part two. Thank you, Tina, for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. This is awesome. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.